Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast, and today my guest is Seth Green, who is the founder and CEO of How to Find Money for College. Welcome, Seth. Thank you so much, Gary. I'm super excited to be here. Great. So, Seth, t- get, tell us why you decided to get into the field of trying to, to help people uh, with financial aid and, and BASFA. Absolutely. So, it's all my dad's fault. I was at Syracuse University many, many, a couple decades ago for musical theater of all things, because at the age of 18, I wanted to be a Broadway star. That was my life goal. And my before my first semester, freshman year had even ended, um, I was packing to come home for Thanksgiving break. And my dad called and said, I'm sorry, uh, can't afford it. You have to move it, move home. You have to live at home. You have to get a job and work. You have to do chores around the house. There's no girls over and no loud music after 9 p.m. And you have to transfer and go to a school here. See you in a couple hours for dinner. Bye. And hung up on me. And I called my mother in tears. My mom, I just got, I've been here two months. You can't make me come home yet. I don't understand. She said, your father got the tuition bill. He's freaking out. Um, but we'll figure out a way. We'll find some way to make it work. So I went home and nobody said anything. I went home for break. Um, and I'm like, are they sending me back with a U-Haul for all my stuff? I don't understand. They didn't say anything. And I wasn't going to bring it up. I went back to Syracuse and everything I thought was okay until the next semester when I got the same phone call from my dad, called my mom upset. She said he got the tuition bill and this happened every single semester. And I caught on that it was going to keep happening. And in addition to pursuing my theatrical studies, I also said, I want to figure out a better, there's got to be a better way to do this. So there was no degree in, in college financial aid planning at the time. So I kind of had to, with the help of my counselor there, make one up between different segments of the business school um, and then became a college financial aid planner when I graduated because I decided I did not want to starve in New York as a waiter trying to be an actor. I kind of felt like I was already starving and that was enough for me. So I went to work for a Fortune 500 company as a college financial aid planner, and that's how it all started. Gotcha. So, you know, I, I guess everybody, um, you know, is probably wondering, okay, well, why would you be college financial planner? That's what high school, uh, high school guidance counselors are for. 
Um, no, it's actually not. It's a very common misconception. I'm glad you brought that up. And I went out, on, I left the Fortune 500 company about 14, 15 years ago to start my own firm, howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. And high school counselors, guidance counselors, their job, they help your kid if they've got, you know, pick classes in high school. If they've got any emotional or learning or any issues, they might help them with that. They might help them improve. My son has an appointment. My 14-year-old has an appointment with his guidance counselor tomorrow because he's bored. He's in all honors classes. He's in all honors classes. He's bored out of his mind. He has 100 or 99 average. He's like, I'm, I'm bored. I'm wasting my time. Um, so we're going to see if we can get him in some AP classes as a sophomore. And hopefully you won't be bored there too. So there can be good reasons why you go to a school counselor. And then they will help in the school, the college selection process. And they might coordinate letters of recommendation, stuff like that. Their job is not to do financial aid. So they may know a little bit. They may know some, depending on what they do in their career and what resources they have. But they're not going to help you fill out the FAFSA or CSS financial aid forms. They're not going to write appeals for you. And they're certainly not going to negotiate with schools on your behalf because the average counselor, I mean, think about it, depending on the size of the high school and how many staff are in the guidance department, they might have 30, 50, 100 students. Now, they're not all seniors, obviously, but right. there's no way they could possibly provide that level of service. I mean, think about on one spectrum, they're dealing with college and on another, they might have kids who are pregnant. They might have kids who are on you know have addiction problems they might have kids who have challenging home life they can't possibly be all things to all people and be good at everything and the college financial aid is all we do so that's you know you do something all day every day for many many years you get good at it so what about the financial aid offices at the college or university that you apply at aren't they there to help you with this <laughs> that's a good one so the college so colleges are a business even if it's a public school and supposed to be not-for-profit, they are a business and their job is to make as much money as they can. So a college financial aid officer, their job is not to help you at all. Their literal job, what they are paid to do is make sure they give out as little money as possible and still get your child to come. It's a process called financial aid leveraging. Um, this is in Money Magazine, 67% of private schools and 37% of public schools do this. It's an algorithm that each school has that they use to determine what's the least amount of aid they can get you to come and still get you to show up. Because, for example, if your son and my son are both added to the same school and all things are equal, grades, extracurriculars, SAT scores, and in order to get your son to come, they have to give him a $10,000 merit, you know, financial aid scholarship but they have to give my son a $50,000 a year scholarship. Which student is more desirable? Yours, because they're going to have to give up 40 grand a year of revenue to get my kid to come. They don't have to give that all up to get your kid to come. Your student will be more profitable. They will take your student over mine any day of the week if everything else is the same. So you know, nobody talks about this. Why? I mean, you know, again, everybody just thinks, okay, um, I make too much money. I fill out the FAFSA form. Um, a lot of people don't even fill out the FAFSA form. Um, and then you also mentioned something else about the, the CSS form. What is that? Uh, the CSS is the profile, otherwise known as the profile form. The FAFSA is the free application for fellow student aid for public colleges. Now, if you go to a private school, you still have to fill out the FAFSA. If you have a child who's going to get a sports scholarship, you still have to fill out the FAFSA no matter what. You don't get any type of any aid if you don't fill it out. 
And then the CSS profile form is for private schools. So if you have a child going to both public, applying to schools that are both public and private, you need to fill out both. We had um, a student last year who, a young lady, senior, who got an offer of a volleyball scholarship to Yale. And the coach said, we will, the parents didn't fill out the FAFSA or the CSS, Yale's obviously private. They said, we make too much money. We're not going to qualify. We're not going to bother. Well, the volleyball coach said, we will give your daughter a scholarship for every dollar that is not, that is, that she is eligible for. You have your expected family contribution. And then there's the cost of Yale. We will cover everything in between. And they said, oh my God, our dreams have come true. She's going to get it, you know, not a free ride to Yale, but at least 60 to 70% of that money covered. This is fantastic. And they said, we don't have a FAFSA or a CSS on file for you. So we don't know what the dollar amount of money is we should give you. And the coach said, I can't grant you this scholarship, your daughter the scholarship until you get the financial aid forms done. And they called frantic going, oh my God, we didn't know we had to do this to get an athletic scholarship. Can you do this for us like tomorrow? So you got to fill it out no matter what. So you, you said the expected family contribution. What is that? So that, um, it's also called when they changed the law in December last year, they renamed it the student aid index, but nobody calls it that yet. So the expected family contribution or student aid index is the magic number. The federal government determines you can afford to pay for college. Now that number is always more than you think you can afford to pay for college. Spoiler alert. So there are ways, depending on your situation, to change what that EFC number is. It is a mathematical formula. Um, I think I may be one of the only financial aid planners on the planet who's actually read the 1,100-page book that explains the formula. Um, and we calculate that number for all of our clients. We figure out where it is now and if it's possible to lower it so they qualify for more free money. So it sounds pretty complicated. So, I mean, what are some of the common mistakes that people are making? Uh, well, we talked about one, they're not filling out the FAFSA or CSS. Two, over half of all financial aid forms get sent, get rejected because they have mistakes in them. And a mistake could simply mean you filed your tax return after you filed the FAFSA and now the numbers are wrong or you put the wrong number in the wrong place or you filled out the FAFSA and the CSS and the numbers aren't exactly the same. So it could be something silly. It could be a simple mistake, but the computer system, the FAFSA computer system doesn't know that. So it just automatically rejects it and you have to start all over. So it could be not filling out the forms. Mistakes could be making mistakes on the forms. It could be not knowing what the financial aid package is going to look like at the schools you apply to before you apply. That one is huge because we see parents who apply to a school, what the child's dream school, the kid gets in, the aid package comes back and there's no way they can afford it. And had they known ahead of time, based on your EFC, here's how much money the school is likely to give you, they wouldn't have even bothered to apply because what's the point of getting your hopes up, then getting super excited that you got in and then getting your hopes dashed because you can't afford to go there and you don't want your child to borrow $300,000. Right. Now, now you, talk, you, uh, you keep talking about private versus public, uh, colleges and university. What's the difference when it comes to financial aid? It's huge. Most times, and I had this conversation with a family literally last week, where they said, oh, well, we weren't going to apply at any of those private schools because we didn't think we could afford it. And when we ran the numbers, the private schools were cheaper than the public schools they were, that they thought were more affordable. And the big reason is those private schools have endowment funds, right? Yale's famous for like 20, $30 billion sitting in their investment accounts. 
they could give free tuition to everybody for, I think it was like the next 30 years and not run out of money. They're not gonna, but they could. So private schools most often have way more money to give away. So that sticker price that scares you when you see, oh my God, Syracuse University is $70,000 a year. There's no way we can afford that. Well, a large percentage of students who go there don't pay $70,000 a year. You don't pay retail sticker price for a used for a car when you go buy a car, right? Right, you're, right. You're an accountant. If, if your client said, I'm going to go pay sticker price for the car, exactly what's on the sticker, and I'm not negotiating at all, you would yell at them. You would say that's financially irresponsible, right? Look it up on Kelly Blue Book. Look it up in Consumer Reports. My father is even more extreme. He will determine in advance, this is the exact price I'm paying. And he will get a cashier's check and he will go to the dealer and go, I want that car. Here's what I'm paying for it. Take it or leave it. I'm not sitting here for hours with the sales manager. I want that car exactly as is. Here's my check. You can either cash it. You have five minutes. Decide if you're keeping my check or I'm leaving. Now he's kind of, I, I wouldn't go that far, but most parents just accept whatever the school offers them and think, oh my God, that's our offer. Nobody negotiates. Everybody just accepts it. And number one, they don't know what to expect ahead of time. And that's, we can find that out for them. We can say, based on your EFC, here's what that school is going to give you. Should you even bother applying? And then if we do apply and get in, 67% of the schools are going to under award them. They're going to give them a low ball offer to try and save themselves, the school, some money. So you've got to know how do you appeal and how do you negotiate to get them to give you the money you're deserved. So you talked about earlier about leveraging and stuff like that with, with you know, the, the financial aid departments. So, you know, and then you also talk about appeals and things. What other things are there that, that you know, we're just not going to know about because we don't do this? So those are the biggest ones. The filling out the financial aid forms correctly, applying to the right schools, and then knowing your EFC so you know what you're in for changing your EFC if possible. It's not possible for everybody, but when it is possible, it can save you a whole lot of money. And then um, appealing and negotiating that package. And in order to know if you should appeal, in order to know if you should negotiate, you have to know if they gave you a bad offer or not. And you can't know that unless you know ahead of time, hey, Syracuse is 70 grand a year based on my situation. They should be giving me 45 grand a year in scholarships. I should pay 25 net. Well, if you don't know that and they offer you five grand a year, you may say, woohoo, free money, I'll take it. Right. And you just overpaid. You know, we had a family where um, the dad, they were, that's one of the only refunds I've ever issued in our history of 20 plus years of doing this because the dad called this, we got the aid offer back and I said, we got to prepare the appeal. And the dad took it on his own, called the school, called the financial aid office asked them for more money for his son. They offered him five grand a year more and he accepted on the spot and then called me and said, I did it. I got five grand a year. And I said, you didn't let us do the appeal or negotiate. We were working on 35 grand a year more. And he said, oh, oops. He said, well, can you fix it? I said, no, you already accepted. I said, I'm giving you your feedback that you paid us because you, I can't do my, we can't do our jobs now. I'm like, you ruined it. Wow. That, that's a bitter pill to swallow. It is. It is. That's why we tell people very specifically, follow, let us do our jobs. Don't hire us and then try and do it yourself. You're defeating the purpose, right? I right. wouldn't hire you to do my taxes and then go do my own taxes and file them on, on, on TurboTax. 
right? I'd way overpay because I don't have your expertise. Right. What, um, you know, because I always have, you know, it's tax time, we're doing people's tax returns and then people are asking, hey, I need, you know, information to be able to fill out my FAFSA. Um, I guess when when is it that it's actually due? Because it always seems like, you know, February, March timeframe is when everybody's hitting me up for the information. Right, and technically they're doing that wrong. So the first day you can submit, FAFSA has a rolling date. Like it, you, different schools have different days. You can, some will let you fill it out later. Um, th- since COVID, there's now like rolling admissions and rolling financial aid. However, the most important date to know, the first day you are el- anyone is eligible to submit their FAFSA is October 1st of their child's senior year. So that doesn't mean get started on it on October 1st. We start June or July so that on October 1st at 9 a.m. Eastern time, we sign in and hit the submit button because it's all already done. You can do the form ahead of time. You just can't submit it till October 1st. So I would get done early, be ready because financial aid in some cases is first come first serve. So if you apply at 9 a.m. on October 1st and I wait till February when my next year taxes are done, you should get more money than me because you did it sooner. Okay. So you're saying that it's that I guess that October 1st is the of the senior year is when I can start applying if I had had a senior. So when should I be really starting to plan this? I mean, because obviously it seems like, you know, there's a lot of information I need to know before I even fill out a FAFSA form. Um, When should I really be looking at, you know, getting involved in this process the day you got the pregnancy test results (laughs) now most people don't do that because they don't do this for a living so let's pretend when is the best time to plant a tree um yesterday so i would say as soon as possible now in all reality are you going to start this when your kid is in sixth grade probably not do you need to probably not however waiting till your child's a senior you're kind of at a disadvantage against people who have done it sooner than you. I would say the average time is usually junior year. Um, Unless you have significant assets we need to move to change your expected family contribution, and we need years to move them to change your tax returns, working with, you know, Gary and the team at SBA, um, junior year is probably okay. Um, Depending on your situation, I would maybe sophomore year. Okay. what are some of the questions that, that when you're meeting with people that, that they're not asking you that you wish that they would? Wow, that's a great question. What aren't they asking? Um, usually they don't know, you know, your, if your parents and this is your oldest child, this is your first time through this, right? You don't know what you don't know. Right. So they don't, honestly, they don't know what to ask. I think some of the questions they need to ask are, is it possible to lower my EFC? Can, and if so, how? Can we um, figure, can you help us find schools that my child will want to go to that will give us more money? Um, Can you help us appeal and negotiate to save more money? And kind of how do you help support us throughout this process? Is this a one-time thing? Are you here for all four or five years? Um, I think those are probably the most important questions. So are you guys able to help if I come to you and say, hey, my kid wants to be, um, 
don't know, pick, pick something, a, a, um, a rocket scientist, you know, are you able to, from that, and obviously my financial information, help me figure out what schools are going to be the best schools for my child and give me the most money? Absolutely. We're going to help you narrow that down because um, rocket science isn't a broad, isn't narrow enough because there's a lot of schools where you could go get a rocket science degree. So we're going to help your child. We're going to work with your child, both with you, the parents and individually, because sometimes kids will tell us things when their parents aren't in the virtual, aren't in the Zoom room that they won't, don't want to tell their parents. So, and I'll give you, if you want an extreme example that we had of that in just a minute, but yeah, so we need to know not only major, do they want big city? Do they want rural? Do they, what a class size? Do they want to be in a lecture hall with 300 people? Do they want 15 kids in a class? Right. Do they have a certain religious preference that they want their school to share, right? Do they want to go to a Catholic school or something like that? Do they want to be close to home? Do they want to be far away? How close, how far? Do they care about sports? Do they want their school to have intramurals or division one, two, or three? So again, there's a whole bunch of factors we use to kind of narrow that down so that we can build that list of maybe five, 10, 15 schools that are going to be a good fit, both academically, socially, and financially. Okay. Um, what, I guess, what, what, what challenges are you facing now? I know that, you know, you said earlier that there were some changes that were made back in December. So what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing now doing your job? Um, we've got this a whole year to, of parents now. Um, when the test became test, SAT, ACT became test optional. We've got all these parents now who think, oh, well, let's just skip it. Right? My kid doesn't have to go through that process. Now, if your child is going to do poorly on that test, that may, I mean, you know your kid, that may make sense to skip it and go test optional. But if your child is going to do well, if all things are equal, and my kid took the SAT and did great and has everything else great, and your kid has the exact same grades and extracurriculars as mine, but didn't take the test, college is going to take the one who took the test. So if your child is going to do well, have them take the test. Um, and depending on what they're going to do, if they're not going to do that well, then maybe you apply to schools where that's the majority of the population, right? You can see what the average SAT score is at a school before you apply. So if your kid's getting a 900 total, don't apply to Harvard. You're not going to get in. Right. Don't apply to someplace where that's the low end of the score. You'll get less financial aid. If you apply to a school where 900 is the average or on the higher end, you'll get more financial aid because your kid will be perceived as a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Now, is that something you're able to uh, help us with? Yeah, absolutely. We can see what financial aid package each school will give you with a very high degree of accuracy. We can also, based on your numbers, and we can also see uh, what percentage of incoming freshmen get aid, what's the average aid package. We can see what the average SAT and ACT score are so that we can make sure, is this worth applying to? And are we going to be able to afford it if they get in? Okay. So we've covered a lot of stuff in a quick period of time there. What have I not asked you that you wish I had? Well, we're going to, I know you're going to ask me in a minute, but we're going to tell your folks where they can go to learn more because we're right. barely scratching the surface of college financial aid. 
um, we've prepared a very special training video for your listeners. If they go to howtofindmoneyforcollege.com and fill out the form there and put Gary Helt or Small Business Advisors or the name of the podcast in the Who Referred You field, we will get them, I think it's about a 60 to 70 minute training video where that I just recently did for a high school counselor in their student body, literally walking them step-by-step step through the entire financial aid process so they can really do a deep dive and learn what they need to know before they make any college decisions. Okay. So going back, take a, for me to take a step back, so really any parent or anybody that, that wants to learn more should really, you know, obviously go on there and look at that, but do that before they even start to try to fill out the FAFSA form. Correct? If there's still time, yes. If you've already done it, watch it anyway. You can't go back in time. Right. Um, however, yes, ideally you would watch that vit training video at howtofindmoneyforcollege.com before you started the college admission process. So if I had already started and say that, that my kid is whatever, a freshman this year, would you be able to help me next year? It depends. We've had cases where one of my most famous ones is we had a family that didn't do the FAFSA at all, didn't do the CSS. They had a significant amount of money in a 529 inherited from grandpa. And they said, well, we've got all the money to pay for Boston University. We're not going to get any aid. We don't need to do the forms. And they paid full price. They paid the $76,000 in cash their daughter's freshman year. Financial advisor referred them to us. They said, we can't do anything. It's too late. And I said, I got a money. We got a money back guarantee. Take the leap of faith. Worst case scenario, I give you your money back. Um, they hired us and literally got an, a letter from BU awarding them $44,500 a year in scholarships, free money wow. we, that they don't have to pay back. We literally cut the cost in half, even though she already paid full year freshman tuition. So it is possible to fix. I can't go back in time. They didn't give her back her freshman year money, sure. but we may be able to fix it going forward. Great. All right. So you kind of already hit on it, but do it again. If, if our listeners want to talk to you, they want to learn more, how can they find you? How to find money for college.com. Perfect. Seth, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me on. So today our guest was Seth Green, the founder and CEO of How to Find Money for College. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.